good to see you. Uh, Pastor asked me to speak on the gift of faith. There, there's been a series so far that was, was started last week, no, two weeks ago, that Pastor David started. <clears throat> I'm going to do a very short recap, and then I'm going to go into the subject that I want to uh, look at, the gift of faith. Let me just give you a, a little bit of a brief overview of the Holy Spirit. Because of Benny Hinn, okay, some, for some people, Benny Hinn is a controversial individual. I like him, okay, that can go on record, that's fine. Because he taught me a lot about the Holy Spirit. In the early days when I was 17, 18, 19, 20, as I'm sure many of you have heard of the book, Good Morning Holy Spirit, by Benny Hinn, I, I met Benny Hinn at the NEC in Birmingham. Uh, so I bought the book. He prayed for me. He laid hands on me at the NEC at, the, at a Euro Fire meeting. And because of that experience, that encounter that I had, I started a journey of trying to learn who the Holy Spirit was. Because quite often in church, the Holy Spirit is an it. An impersonal force that we talk about, but we don't quite know what to do with. He's here, but what do we do with him? We talk about the Father, we talk about Jesus, but what do we do with the Holy Spirit? Because we've seen such weird and wonderful things happen through life. Me and, and Pastor David are the same age. I know I look younger than he does, and I'm far more handsome than he is, but we are the same age. And we often say together, because of the history that I've had in England and the history that he comes had in Nigeria, we've experienced the same things. Doesn't matter what country you live in, people are still weird. And they do weird things. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit in church, very strange, wacky things happen all the time. So I, just, I, I believe part of what I do in life is just bring balance very often. And just bring a little bit of correction and bring some balance so that people understand who the Holy Spirit is. Now I grew up in an evangelical church. I was born again in a Baptist church. I met my wife in a Pentecostal church and I went to Bible college in a charismatic church. And I've been ordained in an ecumenical Anglican communion. Okay, so you can see I'm a bit of a a bit of a Heinz 57, as I say, a little bit of everything. But that stands me in good stead because I've been through a lot of different flows with church. So I hear what people say and I see what people do and I hear the mistakes that people make. And you can put everything together and see where the truth is in all of this. So let me just go along and just give you a little bit, of, a little bit about the Holy Spirit. I don't have long. For me, I'm normally speaking for two, three hours in a go. So 40 minutes is short. So I need to get on with it quickly. But did you know there are 25 different names of the Holy Spirit? 25 different names referred to the Holy Spirit. For example, you'll have heard of these, Spirit of Holiness, Eternal Spirit, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Grace, Spirit of Adoption, the Comforter, the Spirit of Counsel and Might, the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of Christ. All these references that we see in the Bible all refer to the Holy Spirit. Now, in the 19th century, in England, the Holy Spirit was actually denied as a person. It didn't even exist in church. If you go through church history, that you'll see that in many churches they would never even mention 
who he was. They'd talk about Jesus but never talk about the Holy Spirit because they didn't understand who he was. If you go back to the early church, there's very little in church history ever written by the Greeks or the Romans, the church fathers, about who the Holy Spirit is. They have no idea. In 1880, there's a gentleman called George Smeaton said that the, whole, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit must be completely ignored by the church. And I grew up in an evangelical church where the leader said when I was eight years of age, the Holy, didn't, the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. And that church went from 400 people to what it is today. I think there's about five old people in the church. The building of the church is probably 10 times bigger than here. And it was full when I was a little boy growing up. Until he, met, until he made that point, the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. The church ended. And you can see what it is. There. So if we as a church want to grow, and if we as people want to grow, we've got to embrace Holy Spirit. Yes? Amen. Don't look so shocked. Now, if you go to the book of John, let me just lay a little bit of a platform before I get to where I want to go. If you, if you go to the Gospel of John, John is just before Genesis, sorry, just after Genesis, just before Revelation. John chapter 16, and I'm going to read verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away, if I do not go away... The helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now let's go to John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. It says, and I will pray, this is Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit. I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you will know him, and this is the key words here. You will know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Two distinct functions of the Holy Spirit there. He will be with you and he will dwell in you. Now, what is the significance of being with you and being in you? They refer specifically to two different things. The anointing that is upon you is for service, for you to do something. The anointing that is within you is your character, who you are. And we've heard many times that God is more important, more concerned with who we are than what we do. Quite often in church lives, I've seen the good, the bad and the ugly in church. And quite often in church, we are more concerned with what we do than who we are. That is why you get pastors who go off with the secretary, worship leaders who steal all the money from the church. I could give you account after account after account of things I know locally that have happened over the years. What is the problem here? Those individuals have not allowed the Holy Spirit within them to develop their character. So that what they do on the outside, their service is fruitful. We focus on the wrong thing. We should be focusing on who we are, not necessarily what we do, even though they're both together. The Holy, the Holy Spirit comes within you and it will refine your motivational gift and it will develop the fruit of the Spirit within you. 
the Holy Spirit upon you would be the nine gifts of the Spirit that we're going to be focusing on over the next few weeks. So when the Holy Spirit is in you, it is developing your character, causing the fruit of the Spirit to grow. The nine fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When the Holy Spirit functions and is upon you, it's for service. And that's where the nine gifts of the Spirit come into play. Two distinct things. But we like to focus on what is what I call the shiny object syndrome. We like to focus on what is good, what people do. But we don't like to focus on what is unseen. But what we do in private will always show up in public. And that's the, that's the cash that we don't like. Because what we don't do in public won't show in private either. So if we spend time to allow the Holy Spirit to develop who we are, what we do will flow out of who we are. And that is what God is looking for. That is where the church quite often has missed it because we want to do it the other way around. As a 17-year-old boy who is extremely zealous for God, I wanted to preach all over the world on, on stages. And God slapped me around the head and told me, allow me to develop who you are first before you are allowed to go and do anything for me. Now, we don't like that, do we? Because we want to be full of excitement. And believe it or not, I've led worship all over the world. In front of thousands of people. I'm a musician, I play the drums, I play the guitar, I sing. I've done it all over the world. It's great. And that is my passion from when I was a little boy. For some reason, my parents paid for me to have guitar lessons, classical guitar. So I learned the yeah, classical guitar. And from there, that's the only thing that God would have ever allow me to do. Was to lead worship for him. He would never let me do anything else. Which was a good fact, really, because I couldn't speak properly because I stuttered. But that's beside the point. God allowed me to do those things. And I would stand in front of people and I would be so bad that I would sink back down and I would cry after trying to lead people in worship because I was so bad at that stage at what I was doing. I thought I was good. But really, I was bad. I would sing out of key, I'd play, I'd, I'd start a song, no I can play, I'll play by here, yeah, give me a guitar, I'll play, it's easy, for me, easy. I'll pick up a guitar, I'll play a chord, sing in the key of D, and I'll just sing completely out of tune. And I'm thinking, but God, I can sing in tune man, I've sang all over the place, I've sang in front of loads of people. What was God doing to me? He was more, con more concerned with who I was than what I could do and I was being taught a few lessons I was being taught that I needed to depend upon the Holy Spirit and not depend upon my own ability now I was good you know and that's not to brag or anything I was good I, I could play very well I played very well I sang very well but God had other things he was more concerned with who I was than what I was doing so he allowed me to fail and fail abysmally until I grew and until I learned that I needed to depend upon the Holy Spirit all the time to do whatever I needed to do. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it causes the, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to flow. 
If you look at Galatians 5, as I said, it speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are a result of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit modifying our character. The gifts of the Spirit are what flows upon us for the benefit of other people. Now, I'm going to to share some interesting things with you in in a few moments that might rattle your cage. Because, that's what I do, but because I want you to see things slightly differently. Bear in mind, I grew up in an evangelical church, attended a Baptist, got saved in a Baptist church before I was filled with the Holy Spirit and I even knew who the Holy Spirit was. Some of the mindsets we have don't serve us anymore. They're what we had many years ago, and they now need to change if we want to go deeper into God. Let me just give you some things. We are often taught that we have only, when we flow in the gifts of the Spirit, we have one gift each. I don't agree. Do you have the Holy Spirit? You do. Do you have the Holy Spirit in his fullness? Yes, you do. So every person in this room has the ability to flow in every one of the nine gifts of the Spirit at any point in our lives. It's not one or another. Now, I was taught in the Baptist church, and we used to sit as teenagers. Okay, what a sad conversation we had at 18. But we would be sat as teenagers arguing, what gift do you have? What gift do you have? Well, I've got two. Well, I've only got one. Well, that's not fair. Why should you have two when I have one? Those are the conversations we use. And it's crazy. Because if we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Holy Spirit in his fullness. We can flow in all of the gifts of the Spirit at any point, providing of one thing. Do we want to? Because if our mindset stops us and says, no, we cannot, then you never will. You need to live with me, because my wife thinks, especially my children, thinks, think that I'm crazy. Because for me, if I walk in Asda, then I'm looking to see how the Spirit of God can flow through me to say something to somebody. If I go to buy a car and I'm speaking to the salesman, I'm doing the same thing. When I go to my children's school, I'm doing the same thing. I go and see the head in the school, the principal, and I'm thinking, God, what do you want to say to them? What do you want to say? My mind is always on the other person. Does God want to say something to that person? Now, quite often, that person will be receptive. Sometimes that person will not be receptive. But that's not our problem. Our problem, if it's a problem, is to hear from God and do what God says. And leave it up to the person whether they like it or don't like it. Now, bear in mind, as Pastor said last week, one of, the, one of the criteria is that we need to flow out of love. So I'm not going to Ephraim now with spite and anger and hiding under, thus says the Lord, to make a point to him about something that I don't like, under the guise of God told me. We do that in church, or I've seen that in church so many times. Pastors stand at the front of church and say, thus saith the Lord... And it's got absolutely nothing to do with the Lord at all. It's true. You know, just because someone wraps it up with the saith the Lord, it don't mean anything to me. It means nothing. I'll just put the TV back on and watch the football. 
I'm not, I'm not, I am not interested at all. It doesn't bother me at all how somebody wraps it up. Thus saith the Lord, these are the chronicles of Almighty God. I've heard all sorts of things said. You know what I mean? I remember this, I remember a guy in the church years ago. This old lady stood up. This is a chronicle of Almighty God. And off she went speaking. And this one guy came to me afterwards and said, that was God. I'm like, why'd you say that then? Because she said it was the chronicles of Almighty God. I'm like, this is my daughter talking. Am I bothered? Am I bothered? It doesn't interest me at all how a person wraps it up. But we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will flow when he wants to. Our job is to be open. End of story. The Holy Spirit will flow. And I tell you now, for me, it's always at the most inconvenient time. I don't know what point God's trying to prove to me, but it's never, for me, at a convenient moment. It's always when I'd rather go and do something else. And it's generally when I want to watch the cricket or the rugby on TV. And I'm not joking. That's when God will speak to me and it's like, Keith, come into your bedroom, come and pray. And it's like, I don't want him. I've been waiting to watch the rugby all day. I like rugby. I'll be waiting to watch this all day. I've done, I've worked my socks off all week. This is two hours. I've got to do nothing. I want to watch the rugby, please. No, no, come in, come into your bedroom. I want to talk to you. And that is when we have a choice. Are we going to continue to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit or not? Are we going to allow him to flow through you? The Holy Spirit should always exalt Jesus, not another person. We have the potential to speak in all gifts. Now, some of us, as Pastor said last week and the week before, quite a few of the gifts flow in tandem, which I'll explain in a moment when I get onto the gift of faith. Some of the gifts will flow together. So it's not always just one or another, but they, they piggyback, if I can use that phrase, on others. Now, when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, quite often... We will flow in those gifts where we've developed, developed our faith for. Now, what I, I operate primarily in one gift, even though, I flow, even though I've operated in all of them by one through my time. The only one I've never operated in is a gift of miracles. But of all of them, the one that I'm always, 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 always flowing in is a discerning of spirits. Always. Uh, and I'm not going to explain that one. That's going to be down to somebody in a few weeks to explain. But that's my primary, that's my primary one. But when somebody brings a word in tongues and somebody else will interpret, we have all got the, the ability to hear from God of what's, what's, what's going to be said. And I've been in groups where somebody has brought a message in tongues, somebody else has interpreted that. And I've sat there and I've thought, that ain't the interpretation. It's not that I, what God was saying. That is not what God was saying. And there's been times when I've heard somebody bring an interpretation and they've spoken for a few seconds and I thought, that was God. And then they carried on rambling for another 30 seconds. And I'm thinking, you could ask my wife, if Jenny was here, she'd be nodding. Because I'll sit there and I'll turn to her and I'll say, he's waffling now. <laughs> but we, we quite often like the sound of our own voice. We do. Because, you know, no one can speak better than me. And if you were here, you'd say, no one can speak better than you. You know, because we, we always think we're the best. 
And sometimes we just have to be quiet and let God say what he wants to say. And sometimes it's short. But we feel a little bit insecure, so we have to add to it to make it sound good. Because if we only said the three words that God, God loves you, is that it? That ain't very spiritual, is it? Is that, all, is that it? But if that was meant for somebody in the church, then that's perfectly it. But we think that's not good enough. So we waffle and we add to it to make, it look, to make us look good. Because what will people think if I don't say something of value? Don't you think we're, we're crazy people at times, aren't we? We are. And if you don't agree, well, you're wrong. We are. <laughs> we are crazy people. God will never force himself to flow through you. And that's what we need to understand. You know, I've spoken to so many people who say, you know, I never operate in any of these gifts. And I'm like, well, why not? Do you really want to? Are you open to? You know, we could do a workshop here now with all of you. And I would... I would Virtually guarantee that if you wanted to flow in the spirit of God, then you would. Because I've been in situations where leaders have done that with me and the group of people I've been in. And we think it's such a, a big spiritual experience. It is simple. It is so simple to do and to flow in, providing we have an ear that wants to hear what God wants to say. We make it complicated. All God is looking for is people who are open to him. I was with a pastor this week, speaking about the John Maxwell event that's coming in February. And I, and I won't tell his name, but he was from the Redeemed Church. And I spoke to him, very, very nice man, sat there. Now, this is not what I planned to say. And, Mo, and yeah, Jenny said to me, why did you say that? And I said, I have no idea. The words came out of my mouth and then he was like, oh, I hope that was relevant. My opening comment after I said hello to him was, I don't want any of your money. That's my opening comment. I don't want any of your money. He just looked at me and smiled. And after that, we got on brilliantly. Now, I don't know, and I still don't know because I don't want to ask him yet. I will ask him eventually. But quite often when someone goes to see pastors, the first thing they want is, can you give me money? Can you give me some money? I need £20,000 for this or 50000 whatever it may be. The first thing I said to him was, I don't want your money. Now that's, for me, I walk away and I think, I've been around long enough to know. That was a loaded statement of mine. Because if I will ask him, and I will ask him at some point, did he think that I was coming to him to ask for money? And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I don't want your money. And after that, he melted and we, we got on very well. In fact, he said to me, and I'm not going to say his name, he said to me, we will fill the entire building for you, for the John Maxwell event. That's what he said to me. He said, we'll fill the place for you. Now, hopefully, there'll be other people in there apart from that particular denomination. <laughs> But I'm happy. I just want the place full. I don't care who comes. But the point is, sometimes we don't realize that we're even flowing in the Holy Spirit. We just say certain things and we only find out afterwards that what we said was relevant. Yes? 
timing when we flow in the gifts of the Spirit are very important. You know, just because God speaks to you doesn't mean you've got to blab it out immediately. There's a time when God will speak to you and you say nothing for quite a while. And then eventually you say something. You know, God will speak to you. He'll give you that word of knowledge. He'll give you that word of wisdom for somebody. Doesn't mean you've got to phone them up immediately or want to tell them. It may be just, just wait. Wait a, wait a week or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks. And the right timing will come for you to share what God has said. Like I said, just be, thank you. I thought that was a cup of coffee. Just Okay, so let me just go on to the, the, the gifts of the Spirit. From 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We read last week and the week before. 1 Corinthians 12 from verse 4 is where I'm going to read. Somebody's stolen that from my Bible. There are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. The differences of ministries but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. I like that, for the profit of all. When somebody flows in the gifts of the Spirit, it's supposed to benefit them. Not upset them, not tell them off, not judge them. But it's supposed to profit them. You're supposed to be adding value to somebody when you flow in these things. Now, there are are different types of gifts, as we mentioned. Categorised, as we've said. Oh, I thought that was a picture of me. Actually, someone thought that was a picture of me. Never mind. The gifts are grouped in three groups. The revelation gifts, as we've said, the power gifts, and what I call the inspirational or the vocal gifts. Yeah? The word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits are the revelation gifts that we've said before. The power gifts are the gift of faith, working of miracles, and the gifts of healings. And they work in tandem together, and they are always for the profit of somebody else. Always. Like I said, we're not here to judge them. Now, the gift of faith. This is what you've all been waiting for. Just let me say 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. He says, earnestly desire the gifts. Earnestly desire them. If you have no desire at all, then you ain't going to flow in the gifts at all. You've got to want to do it. And trust me, if you read in the Bible, it says that God walks to and fro across the earth to see whose hearts are towards him. God is walking up and down these these rows of chairs to pick the people in this room who want to flow in the gifts. He will find some of you who do, some of you who don't, some of you who don't care. But God is looking for those people whose hearts are towards him. And I decided years ago, I never want to be the person that God overlooks. I never want to be the person that God doesn't use. I will always, somebody accused me as a teenager of being too zealous. And I remember him, I remember saying to him, come back to me when I'm 50 and I'll be even worse then than I am now. Because you've got to be zealous for God. You've got to be hungry. You know, you're in your workplace. You know, the gifts are not just for church, eh? 
really, the gifts should be demonstrated outside of church. You know, the, the gifts of the Spirit are really for unsaved people. They're not for me to go around trying to impress you. Because what is our responsibility? My responsibility is to hear God for myself. My responsibility is to go to God and be healed myself. Not to keep running to you so that you can give me a word and so that you can tell me and you can give me... No, no, no. I, my responsibility is for me to grow up and do that myself. That's why it's in some churches, when I see a lot of the demonstration of the gifts of the Spirit, then I look and think, God, these people are still babies. Because if they matured, that would not be necessary. You'll have to think on that one. So, the gift of faith. This is the first of the power gifts. It's what I call a doing gift. The power gifts, it says here, the gift of faith. Now, if you go into the amplified um, version of the Bible, it speaks about the wonder-working faith. If you go to other translations, it quite often refers to it as special faith. So there's something different. What we can't be confused with is what we call saving faith. The faith that we need to be born again. This is something different. This, this phrase came to, this is true. This phrase came to me this morning when I was sat in my dining room at the, at, at the table. This is faith on steroids. That's what the phrase that went through my head. Gift of faith is faith on steroids. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Because when we are born again, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God continually. And that's what we live by. He says the just shall live by faith. We live by that saving faith. But the gift of faith is faith that's supercharged. It's a faith that comes to achieve something. Now let me explain. Let me give you a definition. It's a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit whereby a believer is empowered with special faith or wonder-working faith in order to receive a miracle. And that receiving is important because if you look at working of miracles, which I believe will come in a few weeks' time, that is all about performing a miracle. It's all about doing something for somebody. But the gift of faith is passive. It's where we receive without having to do anything. And I'll give you some examples. Let me, let me give you an example now. So Jenny and I, Jenny was 18. And some of you ladies look a bit shocked when we got married. So at the age of 19, we moved and went to South Africa to live to Johannesburg. Now we had nothing. We'd been let down by certain organisations that were going to financially support us. And my family are not wealthy at all. My parents had very little. So we went to another country with nothing. Absolutely nothing. We got to pay tuition fees. We got to buy a car. We got to find somewhere to live. All those things. And you've heard the stories all before. We had nothing. And yet, both Jenny and I lived for three years on the back of this gift of faith. Because all the time that we were there, we were at peace. We didn't struggle. We didn't strive. A miracle came to us 
we didn't go looking for the miracle. In the middle of adverse situations and circumstances, we were at peace. And that's the important thing. Having the gift of faith gives you an uncommon and unnatural peace to bring to pass the results that the gift of faith was given to produce. The gift of faith gives you an uncommon and unnatural peace to bring to pass the results that the gift of faith was given to produce. You may have heard of Smith Wigglesworth, a man from many years ago in England who used to go around hitting people, kicking people, throwing chairs at people, and all the time when these things were happening, they were being healed. Now you'd get locked away. But in the, back then, the people were being healed. This man operated in the gift of faith frequently because he laid his hands on the dead and the dead came back to life. Now, did he struggle? Did he worry? Did he get anxious? Did he get upset when somebody was sick? No. He just walked up to them, laid hands on them. They were healed. They came back from the dead. So he operated in the working of miracles, but that, that was piggybacking on the gift of faith because he was at peace. In the three and a half years that we lived in Johannesburg, we were at peace that God would always provide. Even when we had one pound left in our pocket one day, and we were just like, well, we got no food, we got nothing. Mobile phones didn't exist back then. The internet didn't exist we couldn't phone back to our family and say, so we, we need some money. We had nothing. We had one pound in our pocket. It was like, what did we do? Were we worried? No. We received the fact that God was going to do what he said he was going to do and we didn't have to get stressed over it. That's the gift of faith. That is the gift of faith. It's a strong confidence that God will do what he said he would do. That God would sue what he said he would do. Zoe, our little girl, that she's now 14. When she was two, she walked into our lounge one morning. And as she walked through the door, she collapsed on the floor having fits. Epileptic fits. It's not, it's not in the family. I don't know anybody in my family or anybody who's ever had that type of thing. But there she was, sh shaking, foaming at the mouth. Now, don't get spiritual on me and say it's a demon. Because I'll slap you. <laughs> but she just fell on the floor. Okay. So we picked you up from the paramedics into hospital, in the bed, little girl, wired up everywhere, and the doctors couldn't find out what was wrong with her. They tested, and she kept having fits about every half an hour. And she's only two. It breaks my heart as a dad. I don't like, I don't like things like that, especially when it's your children. I don't like stuff like that. And I'm standing there, and yet whilst I'm standing there, both Jenny and I are like, she'll be fine. She'll be fine. It's okay. She'll be fine. So I phoned a friend, as you do, as, as we did, a little Italian lady, Enza. How old is Enza now? Enza will be 76 now. But she's a fantastic evangelist. I found Enza. Enza, will you come? I want you to pray with me and with Jenny for Zoe. We laid hands on her in that hospital, instantly healed. And she's never had a fit from that day to this. And she was two years of age. Now, in the middle of that, we had strong confidence that God would do what he said he was going to do. And we weren't anxious and we weren't worried. It was like, like I said, faith on steroids. A supercharge of faith that it don't matter what happened, everything's cool. Everything is okay. There's going to be no worries. We've had that many times. 
over the years. Several years ago, things go in cycles in the body of Christ. And I wonder when this one will come back around again. But back in the early 90s, there was a lot of praying for people with a demonic. There was a lot of that. And I remember, I ain't got a clue what I was doing, but I was always the guys that people wanted to go with them to pray for people. And it was, everybody else would be scared. You know, good, faithful Christians, aren't we? They'd all be scared, well, this man is climbing the wall and, you know, slithering like a snake off the ceiling. And they'd all be scared, what do we do, what do we do? I, I would, it would never bother me. It didn't faze me at all. I'd just walk in there and tell, say, like, where's the guy? What's the problem? Oh, that's him. Okay. And then you just go and deal with it without an issue at all, without any thought. What is that? That is a gift of faith. It's a strong confidence that what God said he will do, he will do. You lay hands on the sick, they recover. You rebuke the devil, you set people free. It's not an issue. Now, if you didn't have that supercharge of faith, and it doesn't come from reading the word and hearing the word and hearing the word, that's your general faith that you live by. This is the gift of faith that comes to you. You can't explain it. You can't theologically feel it away. You just got to say, well, I received that and I go with it. So you, you still me, you could wake up and you could go for a job. You see, you're desperate for a job. You need a job. You look for a job. When we, let me give you this one. We was in South Africa and we were leaving, we were leaving Bible college and everybody was exchanging phone numbers. No, I didn't have a phone number, but I'll give them address. I said, give me your email address. Everybody over there had email addresses. I didn't. Give me your email address. And I remember Jenny saying to me, what are you doing that for? You don't even have a job. And I said, no, no, no. There is a desk, there is an office, there is a computer, there is a phone waiting for me for when we get back. And I didn't, I, had, I hadn't even applied for a job, but I just knew that I knew that I, knew, I had a strong confidence that I could go back and God would take care of everything. We came back, an old lady, God bless her in church, says, you'll never get a job. Thank you, dear old lady. I applied for a job, I got a job. I have a guess what? There was my desk, there was my computer, there was my email address, there was my office. It's that strong confidence that you know, that you know that God is going to do something for you. This generally happens with pastors when they, when they plant a church. You can't plant a church with fear because you'll be closed within weeks. Someone doesn't turn up and you say, okay, they don't like me and you shut down. A pastor, a church planter to start a church has got to be flowing with that gift of faith. That they know, that they know, that they have a strong confidence that what God has said to them will happen and it will come to pass. The church will grow, you will get the building. So this building, you will buy the building. It's not an issue. Where's the money come from? Not got a clue. But God will provide, God will sort it out. Why? Because there's a strong confidence there's no worry and anxiety. Yeah, we could say, I have no idea exactly the logistics of how, but that's not worry and fear. But we have a strong confidence that what God said, he will do. We can't explain it. So I needed a hefty sum of money to secure John to come to the UK. Do I have that? No. I've got about £2.50 in my pocket. That's about as much as I have in me. God provided. 
It's all sorted. It's all done. You know, when I left Orlando to think of, of a building, I just knew that God wanted, us, God wanted me to bring John to the UK. Did I know what building I would use? No. And yet the amazing thing was, I walked out of the, the hotel and I bumped into a gentleman who owned the Bethel Convention Centre. Now, why would I meet him in Orlando, Florida, when God had just spoken to me about bringing John Maxwell to England and I'm thinking of using the Bethel as the building? And yet I happened to meet him, stood in the hotel. See, the gift of faith, God will supernaturally do what he said he would do without any effort on our part. Now, because time has gone, let me just go to Daniel, the, the reading that we had before. Daniel chapter 6. We all know the story. It's a story that we will teach the children when they're growing up, something we taught our children. But in the face of this, Daniel is following what God wants from him in, in, in life. And because of the scheminess of other people, and this happens in our lives sometimes, because of other people scheming, they try and get Daniel destroyed. They try and get him killed. So they, try, they put him in the lion's den. Because, you know, lions, I lived in Africa, South Africa, you know, and I've been to the lion part where someone stupidly opened the car door and the lion ran across and ate them. You know, I've been, I've been there. Some of us have seen that, heard of that. Lions do that, as we know. So there, Daniel should be worried. He should be anxious. He should be scared for his life. There's no, there's no write-up that Daniel was concerned or worried or fearful. All he said was, God will make a way. God will take care of me. And yet the king, this is funny, the king in verse 18 says, now the king went to the palace and spent the night fasting and no musicians were brought before him and his sleep went from him. What does that mean? The king who put Daniel in the lion's den is worried for Daniel's life. Because when we're worried, we don't sleep. We wake up in the middle of the night and our mind goes on to the fact that we have no money or we have no job or we have a problem with somebody. We get anxious and we get worried. The king is in that place. And you know, sometimes we pray out of fear and worry. I remember, that I learned this years ago, I was with a Brazilian in a worship team and we were praying and he said to everybody, this I never heard this before. He just stopped. He said, stop now. We're not praying anymore. If we pray anymore, we're going to pray out of fear. He said, we're going to stop. We're not going to continue praying. And I'm like, no, no, we, we, we've got to pray. We should pray. That's what we do. He said, no, 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 we're not going to pray anymore. We're stopping here. Because if we go any further, we're going to go into praying out of being anxious and worried. So we're not going to. That, that taught me a lesson, Maurizio. You've got a church of about 20,000 in Brazil now. That taught me a lesson. Sometimes we shouldn't pray because we're praying out of fear and anxiety. In situations like that, we turn to the word and we just read the word. We don't pray. That's what I do. I don't pray. Because if I pray, I know I'm going to pray out of fear. So I just find what God says about the situation from the word and I, re- and I confess the word. And that's my prayer. I'm not going to pray anything else. But in situations like that, Daniel, supernaturally, in a room with lions that are hungry, wasn't anxious, wasn't worried, wasn't concerned, 
even though everybody else was. And he said that God delivered him. And God delivered him. See, when we live our lives and we flow in this, like I said, we don't go looking for the gifts in the sense of, God, I want the gift of faith today. It just comes to you. But you know that you know that you know that you know that what God has said, he will do. So again, let me, I'll break all the rules, okay? So when I was younger, God spoke to me about my wife, as your pastor called your life partner, my wife. And God spoke to me and said, I walked into a church. Okay, this is fun. I walked into a church. I say this, if there's youth pastors around, don't listen because you won't like me when I say this. I walked into a church and God said to me, that, that girl there, she's your wife. I didn't know her name. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know anything. I just walked in the back and Jenny was on the stage. It's just like, that girl there, that's your wife. You'll marry her. Now, what did I do? Absolutely nothing. For two years, I said a word, nothing to nobody. Because I had the gift of faith. I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that what God said was going to come to pass. I didn't have to go and try and talk to her and be friends with her and try and convince her. I didn't have to do any of those things. I just knew that I knew. That after two years of waiting... I went to a friend and said, I need to talk to you about something. He said to me, don't tell me what you want to, I will tell you why you've come to see me. Okay, go on then, if you think you're good, tell me. And he says, you've come to me to talk to me because God spoke to you about marrying Jenny. I'm like, how did you know that? No, I know the man and I think he's good. Francis, if he ever sees this video, he'll know who he is. I was like... How did, you, how did you do that? He said, I just knew. God told me. Now, the interesting thing was, on that same day, when I walked through the door, Jenny heard from God, and God said to her, see that guy who's just walked through the door? He'll be your husband. Now, I didn't know that. I didn't know that she knew that. She didn't know that I knew that, because I said nothing. In fact, I wouldn't even sit next to her in the church. If she was there, I'd sit over there. I, I, wouldn't, I just wouldn't speak. It was all part of the youth group. I didn't speak. I didn't have anything to do with her. I knew who she was. I, I, I'm not stupid. I learned who she was. She was a pastor's daughter, which was quite nice. She was a pastor's daughter in the church. But I had the gift of faith. That's what I'm saying. So that when, we've, when, we, when we desire spiritual gifts... When we hunger for spiritual gifts, my time is finished. When, when we hunger for spiritual gifts, God will visit you and God will give you these things. I'm finished, but I just want to say this. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Go to God and say, God, I want to flow in this. I want to flow in the, the word of knowledge. I want to flow in the gift of prophecy. I want to flow in the gifts of healings. I want to flow in these things and take time to develop the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. I say this not to boast, but I used to spend hours. My father thought I was crazy. My father's died now. He passed on some years ago when he was 50. But I, I would spend hour after hour. I'd go to work. I worked in Birmingham. In my lunch break, I'd go down the bottom office and I'd sit there and I'd pray. Everybody in the office thought I was crazy. 
like I said, I was probably too, a little bit zealous back then. Because I wasn't bothered what they thought of me. But I would go there and I'd pray. I'd come home and I'd pray. I'd walk in from home. I'd have a drink. I'd be in my bedroom all evening and I'd pray. That is literally all I would do. Because I wanted to develop myself and the ability to flow in the gifts of the Spirit. Because I'm like, God, don't bypass me. Don't pass me by and choose somebody else. Let me be the person that you choose. If you want anyone to go to, go to me. And I don't care if I look stupid, but I'll, I'll do it. And trust me, I've been in places where I have looked stupid. Only because I had to learn some humility. But I, had, I have a willing heart. God, use me. Just use me. And I will guarantee the Holy Spirit will come knocking on your door. And he'll say, okay then, here we go. And you'll be amazed how God can use you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's do this.